What's up, everybody, and happy Thursday. Welcome into Blue Wire Studios for Bet to Win here at the Win Las Vegas. I'm your host, Joe Fan. Big show for you. An awesome guest. We've had him on before. We've got him on again. That's Chris Long, two-time Super Bowl champ, Walter Payton Man of the Year back in 2018, and the host of the Greenlight Podcast. He was tremendous. You can really enjoy that conversation. Uh, but first, unfortunately, before we get to it, I've got an L to hold. The winning streak is broken. It ends at five wins in a row. Uh, the Dodgers not only didn't cover uh, minus a half at the Pirates on Monday over the first five, they got blown out from Jump Street. Uh, so that's an easy L to hold, not a heartbreaker. We like those ones uh, compared to the bad beats. Um, I also need to, I've talked about this before in the show, but I need to touch on it again because it continues to come up every single night. When we're talking about baseball, the conversation isn't that this stud rookie, uh, Reed Detmer for the Angels throws a no-hitter, or Mike Trout continues to be the best player on planet Earth, uh, but that takes a backseat to the ump show that continues to happen on every single night. On Tuesday night, again, we see it. It's not just the missed ball and strike calls. Um, it's, it's making themselves bigger than the game where they become the headlines. Uh, here's the situation. Jamie Garcia hit DJ LeMahieu after Giancarlo Stanton hit a game-tying homer. This is in the Blue Jays-Yankees game Tuesday evening. Uh, the Yankees dugout's upset. They're up in arms. Uh, Aaron Judge, like, for a second, looked like he was going to jump over the rail and like, dude, stay in your dugout. What are we doing here? Um, you can see the Blue Jays catcher, the second DJ gets hit, just kind of beside himself of, damn it. Everyone's booing. We weren't trying to do that. What a horrific pitch that was. A two-seamer that got away from Garcia. He walks DJ uh, toward first base, about 15 yards up the first baseline, and wa starts walking back to home plate, thinking it's over. The umpires come together and throw Garcia out of the game. Then throws the Blue Jays manager and pitching coach out of the game. I just... Logic so rarely wins in these instances that I have a hard time. It shouldn't, it shouldn't matter to me this much. Like, I'm a Maris fan. I really don't give a shit about that game. Who wins, who loses, whatever. But it drives me nuts when the umpires come together. And what's that conversation like? Hey, guys, uh, it's a 3-3 game. There's, uh, you know, it's an 0-1 count. And, you know, he probably was tossing at him on purpose. The second pitch of the at-bat. Really? Two division rivals in an important game with the Yankees have been one of the best teams in baseball. The Blue Jays right behind them. What kind of sense does that make? It's just absurd. Later in the evening, uh, Mariners catcher Luis Torrens on his way to first base in a delayed call on a check swing. First base umpire calls him out strike three. Torrens slams his bat down. Not while making eye contact. Doesn't say anything. Just slams his bat. And the home plate umpire, who is he's not... Torrens has his back to this guy at this point. Tosses him out of the game. By the time Terence even figures out he's ejected, he's turning around looking for what happened. These Charmin soft egos of umpires and their ability to make things personal. We just saw the umpire in the mad bum weird palm reading uh, stare down. He came out and apologized for his actions. Yeah, no kidding. How so regularly are umpires able to make it about them to where it feels personal? That doesn't make any sense to me. And it gives them... No wiggle room for public empathy when they do miss on ball strike calls in a bad way. You look at this, this Twitter account. There's a Twitter account called Welcome to the Ump Show. It has almost 81,000 followers. 
And it hasn't even been created for more than a year. It was created in June 2021. It's about to hit its year anniversary. It's moving towards 100,000 followers because every night this account is given elite content that goes viral. I don't know, man. Refs and officials are largely poor in most sports. And we talk about it in the NFL. We talk about it in the NBA. But somehow, again, MLB umpires and their sensitive egos find ways to make things personal above and beyond. And the ump show, it needs to stop. It's like they want to get fired for the robo-umps at this point. And they're just daring Major League Baseball to do it. I don't know. Want to bring in the man of the hour? He is Chris Long, the host of the Greenlight Podcast, presented by Win Bet on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. He's a two-time Super Bowl champ and the 2018 Walter Payton Man of the Year. You follow him on Twitter. Well, you should. And if you don't, you need to. At Joel91, that's the number nine, and spelled out one. Chris, what's up, dude? How are you, man? Dude, I'm great. You're really good at that, introing people. I'm not very good at that. Uh, you do a great job, man. You're very official. I Joe. appreciate good to that. See you again. I enjoy yeah. it, man. It was, it was really good to see you. I saw you over the draft. You were out here. You were, uh, you were the hardest working man that weekend. You were hosting <laughs> hours upon hours at this desk, night one and night two. You, you had your fun in the evening. We saw you at the Winbet offices where it sounded like, I don't know uh-huh. if the voice was going to make it for the second night of the draft. How was your time here yeah. in Vegas, man? You guys really tied one on. Yeah, I was um I was like Kirk Gibson with that voice, dude. I was just like <laughs> I was just just trying to get home, man. I was I was just uh like I said, I'd come off this hellacious week of uh I had a guys trip and then a golf tournament that we hosted at the foundation, which was awesome, but then it was like straight into Vegas. And you know, as you and I were just discussing when you have one of these weekends or uh late in the week, which is when we got there, uh, where you know you're going to tie one on for a couple of nights, even if you're working in your 30s, you kind of dread that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I was really happy to be done, but it was an awesome week. When I got home on the couch, I accidentally slept for 12 hours. I haven't slept till noon in uh, many years. I've come to really appreciate, and I'm 32 and I'm already feeling it, where if you wake up on like a Saturday, Sunday morning and you're hangover free and well rested up at like 7 30, 8 a.m., maybe lounge till nine, yeah. and you're like, this yeah. is awesome. I can conquer it. Oh, this is adulthood. It's yeah. adulthood. And you Especially- become far more of a fan of day drinking. Like I'll be on the golf course and be like, I'm going to get after a little bit, get a little buzz going. And then you go home, eat dinner, you call it quits and you're ready to go the next day. Well, you don't have a choice when you're like tw- up until 28, 29. <laughs> like I used to go to Vegas and then we'd go to a pool party. We'd go to like rehab and then you get really banged up. Uh, and then you go home and take a nap or home. You go back to the casino and take a nap and wake up with a hangover and then go out to the the club. That is something I can't do anymore. <laughs> like if I go down, I'm staying down. You know what I mean? And so it's more about pacing yourself. It's more about you. You drink like a thinking man now. Yeah. You know, where in your 20s, it was just like, yeah, I'm going to delete as many units of alcohol as I can and see if I'm still standing. It, Not anymore. It truly takes a full like thought process of game planning, how you're going to make it work. Exactly. And rallying is not an option. When the tank is empty, it is empty. It's um, just empty, dude. Chris, before I brought you on here, I went on a rant about MLB umpires and the ump show that's taking place during uh, this season so far, where it's not just the bad calls, but it's the egregious ejections and the, the, the charm and soft egos of so many of these guys. Oh. And I, I want to know from your standpoint, it's so easy to complain about umpires, officials, referees, although I would argue MLB umpires have a very unique way to make things personal compared to, I think, 
officials in other sports. But what was what was your relationship like with refs when you played? Did they get a bad rap? Or are we now as guys as onlookers, as fans, too hard on them? Or is a lot of it justified? It's a good question. Number one, I think the MLB umpires are some of the biggest hardos in sports. Yes. Uh, watching yes. that guy rub Mad Bum's hand the other oh. night. And he came like out he and apologized. It's like, bomb. well, yeah, dude, yeah. but what's your deal with Madison Bumgarner? Yeah. No, you apologize for missing a 98-mile-per-hour slider that, you know, hits the corner of the plate. Like, that's an error. You know, that was like this drawn-out theatrical performance. It's baiting. I think these it's umpires, yeah, I mean— it's baiting him and it's baseball is like the one sport where you got so many unwritten rules. You have so many like kind of understandings, you know, like the refs kind of act like dicks and we're supposed to be okay with it. The refs can kind of like put their own pizzazz on their calls. Like it's about them. They, they love to make it about them in baseball. And I totally think it's a fun part of the game, but if I play baseball, it would really piss me off. But as like somebody who makes content, I'm glad that guy did that. I had something to talk about. Like, oh, if the baseball game is boring, the refs aren't. You know, the umpires aren't. But they're probably going to get replaced by robots. I'll talk to you about football. Um, I think football uh, officials get a little bit of a hard time, dude. I mean, like the, some of the biggest, fastest, most physical athletes on the planet are moving around at 21 miles per hour or whatever. They, they get these catapults now so you can see how fast each player is going. And it's insane. And you got to make these split-second decisions and a lot of them uh, don't have great angles and that sort of thing. Uh, I had Jeff Fisher on my pod recently. He's my old coach. Uh, and Fish is one of the biggest proponents of appreciating officiating for multiple reasons. I think this is really interesting. Not only because like on its, on its head, I think it's a really tough ask. And certainly the best of the best get it wrong sometimes. Um, but it's also like if you make officiating this terrible undertaking that you're just going to get shit on every day you go to work, like then nobody's going to want to officiate youth football. Nobody's going to want to develop or rise to the ranks. Like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. So like Jeff Fisher made a really good point where he was like, I know that we kill officials when they're, they're wrong, but we should stop every once in a while and just appreciate the fact that he's doing and gals are doing something at such a, at such a high rate of speed, like the, these are split second decisions and you got to make them confidently uh, and in front of millions and millions of people. So uh, the pressure, I would much rather be a football player than an official. I think their job is really hard. Um, you know, you talk about you, your whole life can change with one reach into the pocket and, yeah. you know, you, 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 people might hate you forever. So I think relative to what they're compensated, I actually do appreciate officials, even though, I think the NFL does a dog shit job of, uh, and they always have, of being intellectually honest when it comes to officiating defense versus offense. I think just say it outright that this is an offensive league and we're going to emphasize offense and we're going to make things harder on defenders and we're not calling the game honestly to the letter of the law. These refs, you know, they're doing the bidding of owners, the commissioner, the league. Uh, so if the league wants something done or I want it slanted a certain way, these refs have to kind of go with the flow. And you know what I mean? Like there's years where we, where we emphasize, hey, more PI or more holding or more roughing the passer. And you always see this explosion of these calls like the first half of the year, the last couple of years. And people are like, what the hell? And then it levels out. It's because the NFL uses refs to make points of emphasis. So I think their job is tough because they get it honest from fans, but they also are getting it from the other end 
and being told what to call and what not to call. So um, I do think they do they they get a little bit of too much shit. In I the think NFL. the issue is that I think you're right in everything you just said. The issue is when they become the show or the lasting memory. The show. When you have a primetime yeah. game where Cassius Morris just has this big time sack and then gets hip checked by the official, that intentionally it looks That's such intentional. An it, it I've is never an seen anything like that. That was I've crazy. Never seen anything though. like that. But then he looks at him, throws the flag, almost to make a point, an example of him. <laughs> And that's, I think, more of an outlier in football than it might be in basketball where there's much more interaction like face-to-face with, with right. players and officials. And then in baseball as well, like you mentioned, with, with how umpires enjoy stealing the show. Well, there's only a few basketball refs that you're like, you know, Scott Foster, like I see, you know, people talk about him a lot. And, you know, if you're a, a hardcore basketball fan, you're like, this fucking guy. Yeah. Um, you know, football, there's a few guys like that, but I think players know better than the fans even. We actually, Saturday night in the hotel, will get, you know, a report on which referees are calling the game and what their percentage of, you know, like how much holding they call, how much OPI, you know, how much ICT, like whatever. You're going to get those numbers. Hey, guys, you've got to watch this. This position group has to watch this tomorrow. A good coach will take you through that stuff. So they all have their unique personalities. But when you cross the threshold into being a me guy. And of course, what position did Cassius Marsh play? He's an edge defender. We get shit on the most. Uh, we get held. We get hit late. We get, you know, uh, offensive linemen j- jump on piles and hit us. And nobody does anything about it. We get that. That's the emphasis. But the second of the league your is body weight hits us. a quarterback. Yeah, exactly. But I get that because I once watched a playoff game between like Joe Webb and whoever the quarterback, the backup quarterback uh, for the Packers was, maybe I'm misremembering. It was like a late primetime game uh, in the early 2010s. And I just, I watched the game and I had sat through it. And I was like, okay, now I realize why we protect these guys. Because it's it's uninteresting to me when there's two bad quarterbacks yeah. uh, quarterbacking. So I get that like for our game to be viable, those guys have to be upright. It just gets a little ridiculous sometimes. And I think more, more than anything, the architects of these rules have to do a better job, not the referees. Like the referees are doing the best they can. They fuck some shit up. The one thing I wish the league would do better after they blow a call is figure out a better recourse for, you know, like what happens to the Saints after, you know, that Rams player, you know, countless times in my career, we got burned on a bad call. And then Jeff would come in on a Monday and be like, well, the league called. They said, my bad. Hope that's good enough, you know, and um, that part sucks. You know, the the back-end accountability, it's hard to strike that balance. Yeah, I think the leagues would tell you, well, those guys don't get to don't, don't get to officiate playoff games then. It's like, well, that doesn't do a whole lot for the team that's on the short end of that, that call. Uh, let's talk some NFL exactly. headlines. I, I want to I get your reaction to Tom Brady reportedly agreeing to a 10-year, $375 million contract yeah. with Fox to become their lead NFL analyst working alongside... My guy, uh, one of my you know favorite broadcasters in the biz, Kevin Burkhart. Um, yeah, this has become a trend now, where you know this blank check to uh, a big name athlete. It was Tony Romo, uh, and now of course it's Tom Brady. What was your initial impression of that report? Get your money, and it's a free market. I really do believe that. I think sometimes we we look at this thing like, yeah, the media, and I totally get this because now I'm a member of the media, and I've always appreciated the media, beat writers, people that have given their entire lives to this craft, like feeling like they get leapfrogged a little bit financially, and there might be layoffs because of Tom Brady. I don't know. I mean, do the math, but 
Um, I also know that this is the business of entertainment. Not all media sectors are like created equal as far as like, and not all media members are created equal as far as like what that person's designed to do. Like there are a lot of people um, that I feel like I might work harder than and have a better product than that make a lot more money than me because it's supply and demand. What do people want? You know, and if having Tom Brady call a game uh, without even predicting whether or not he's any good at it is going to move the needle for Fox and that's kind of their business, you know? And um, now I have seen them dispute that number of 37.5 or whatever it was a year, 10 years, 375 was, I think. um, I've seen them dispute that. So I also think there's an element of, we don't know like altogether what that contract looks like yet. There's also something that people are missing is like that, Number's going to change by the time he retires. Like the going rate is going to change by the time he retires. You know, Fox is kind of cutting the line. um, So they get the security of grabbing Tom Brady. um, But they also get him at a number that might not look the same. As hard as that is to believe from a market value standpoint in a couple of years, like he could play another three years, you know, and in three years, Tony Romo could be making 40. Uh, Greg Olson could be making 20. I don't know. Like I'm just, you know... And another thing is people got so shocked by the Jim Rome thing, they forgot that terrestrial radio is a fucking thing. Here's the thing about Jim Rome. Jim Rome has a bunch of fans who aren't online. And the funniest thing in the world is seeing people on Twitter being like, Jim Rome, what the fuck? He's not relevant. I'm like, because nobody's talking about him here. Like the guy's been putting in the work on terrestrial radio for for eons. Like, where do you think all those people went? They're still following him. Um, Brady, man, I think he's going to be good at it. I think Romo's good at it. And I think Romo, I think Romo, I'll put it this way. I think Romo moving the needle is a good thing for Brady because Brady's going to move the needle even more. And I think he'll probably be just as good at it and maybe better. So I have no issue with it. I get that some people are upset, but this is also like a free market situation where um, the guy that has been printing money for the NFL the past two decades is now going to enjoy some of that on the other side of things. So I, I don't really care that much. But I also am not one of the people that has been in it 20 years and is like, well, he cuts the line. John Madden made like eight mil out of coaching, right? And everybody was like, oh, John Madden, he never was in the media. And like now they have um, a video game named after him. They just did a big documentary. Like, you know what I mean? So things, it's not always about, you know, have you put in the work in this very unique field? There's a lot of spaces for people. And uh, I don't know. Greg Olson, I thought, could be a number one. I love Greg Olson. And I would have loved to see him be a number one. But I think he also gets what this is about. It's like everybody's going to get one shot at Tom Brady. And it's kind of like a wide receiver market or something. Like they'll pay you what, what the, your, your worth is kind of what, what they're willing to pay you. Yep. And um, yeah. yeah. Michael Strahan, 17 mil. Uh, off the field, into the booth. Like, it happens sometimes. It does, and it all depends. I mean, how much weight does your name carry? And no one's name carries more weight than Tom Brady. I, I This is my theory, and I want to pitch this to you, is that obviously this is a guy who, between him and Giselle, they don't need money. We talk about him printing money for the NFL. He could print money for himself with any sort of appearance, partnership, whatever, outside of what his contract yeah. is. I we, we know this dude's legitimate 
on the psychopath spectrum when it comes to how competitive he is. And yes, he's clever on TikTok and he does social media just as yeah, well as anybody. He's a psychopath. He, but <laughs> but he is a nut job. And there's a reason why yeah. I think he has, you know, he is the man in the arena. Now that's what the documentary is named, but he, he can't yeah. step away. And I think there's a part of like, okay, who am I going to be better than after I'm done playing? And Tony Romo has gotten so much notoriety for his transition from the field into the booth. And so it's like, A, not only am I going to get paid more than him out of the gate, but B, I'm going to be better than him. Like, I'm going to go get Romo. And people are yeah. going to be talking about Tom Brady is that dude now. And like, do you remember like, Romo, who, Romo who? Like, you know, I think- He wants to box it. He wants to beat everybody, yeah. you know, and not, it's not personal. Tom just wants to be the best. Yeah. And like, so it's not, it, it wouldn't matter. I think if it was his own like kids, uh, you know, had the, were in line to get the number one job, like- Brady wants to win and Brady's name is Brady's name. And so like you saw like Strahan get, I think, what was it? Like 17 mil or something straight out of the gate with Fox. Like what would that look like today? And now do that with a quarterback, right? Like the most famous football player of all time. So I think it makes sense. Um, I think, you know, another guy in this whole thing that's interesting is Peyton Manning because I could not wait to get him on the microphone and see him like, dude, maybe he doesn't want to do something like this, but now those seats are getting taken, you know? So another deal with Tom Brady, like cocking a quarterback, like seats taken. Yeah. You know, like now Certainly. you got to go on the Broncos or something. And um, so I, I think it's super interesting. I think he's going to be really good at it because he is, he'll approach it the way he approaches career. Another thing is he's protected his brand so carefully and like slow leaked his personality so that, you know, you've got this guy that's been kind of like a closed book for a long time. Now he's opening up a little bit. Like this is the perfect storm for somebody to make like a Brinks truck full of money and uh, call games. Yeah, and he's he's too proud in that brand to just collect paychecks and mail it in. I mean, he will be to the best of his ability. That might not mean he's the best. But yeah, he he's, might not he's, be good. He's going to work his ass off to be um, just as good as anybody. Um, any Jimmy G or Baker, Mayf Baker Mayfield predictions? Those guys. Baker's still in Cleveland. Jimmy's still in San Francisco. Those are sort of the big shoes still left to drop in this NFL offseason. Man, I don't know. So, like, I've kind of... It, those were two stories that I kind of, like, after a month of speculation, was like, oh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, now, I when Carolina committed to a QB that late in the draft, I think that said something about what they thought about Baker. Um I, I think when Seattle passed on him at this juncture, it says something about what people think about Baker. And I don't think it's really the football because I think people know he was hurt. I think people will bend over backwards and to try to get like a legitimate quarterback in the building, like a guy who just gives you a fighting chance. He's the first guy in that long line of duct tape names on the back of that Cleveland Browns jersey that they've been, you know, those jerseys. Yeah. This is the the thing that blows my mind the most. The guy who's going to get hated more than anybody in Cleveland by a faction of fans is going to be the guy who played best out of the last 20. You know, um, now the thing he has to control better is kind of how he comes across. You know, it's a risky deal, like speaking out, being vocal, and it's funny, the one time I met Baker Mayfield, I was a, I'm a big I was a big fan of the fire that he played with and like kind of his attitude. And I think this is the this kind of proves it with Baker Mayfield. Like it's everybody loved Baker Mayfield until he started playing bad. Like they loved that fire. They loved, you know, his competitiveness. They loved the flag thing. 
the you know like um the was it Kansas or somebody who took the flag and did that whole thing like they loved having a quarterback that had some fire but the minute he stopped playing good people turn your they turn their back on you and so like sure I loved hearing Baker talk shit and do X Y Z when he was balling. But nobody wants to hear it when you're not playing that great. And I think that's the thing that he's got to understand is like, you know, that podcast he went on, that sort of thing. Like, I really like Baker Mayfield. I just I just wish he would kind of say, hey, listen, maybe I'll do a little less right now because things aren't going well. Yep. And once I'm back on top, I can be me again. I can be me in the building, but maybe I just control the narrative a little bit better because I hate to see a guy who went out and tried to play hurt which is on its head like a really unselfish competitive thing to do, learn the hard lesson in the NFL that they don't give a shit. They don't care if you're playing hurt. You know, I I played hurt. Um, so when I was in St. Louis, I played, I was, was one of their, I was one of the dudes there. I was, you know, team captain, all that shit. Had played in a lot of games in a row and never missed a game. Damn near never missed a practice. I tore my ankle up and I should have been IR'd. I came back to try to play hurt because I, you know, I was out of fear, you know, because you wanna, you wanna um you wanna impress your teammates or you don't want to let your teammates down. You want your coaches to think you're dependable. And they tell you, they say, like, we're not gonna hold this against you. That's total bullshit. And Baker should have realized that, but I understand he's a competitor. And so he learned a hard lesson. He's gonna have an opportunity for a real rebrand here. But the scary thing is I don't know where the opportunity is. So it might be their year or it might be in the middle of the fall. Like, I don't know what they do with him. Yeah. I had, I had at once out loud wondered, and this is dumb as hell, could he be a 49er? You know, like take a, take a lot less money to be a niner and send Jimmy G somewhere where J- Jimmy's wanted. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to Well, which begs the question happen, as well, where's the market for Jimmy G? I mean, it's for both of them now. What team, yeah. you know, Seattle is the obvious answer for, for both parties. But it seems like a guy you can win with, but certainly can do so much better than Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo. Both both fall into that camp of guy who is a Whoa. leader, a guy who can win games, has, has won games in this league, but also has, you know, some glaring deficiencies. So, they're sort of one and the same, even though the traits and skill sets are different. I mean, in terms of what bucket they're in, when we rank NFL quarterbacks, they are in the same one, at least in my estimation. And the difference is that Jimmy is so well-liked. I'm not saying Baker's not well-liked in, in his circles, but I'm saying like everybody knows Jimmy's well-liked. You yeah. know, Jimmy could play a terrible game and he's going to walk off the field next to George Kittle and they're going to look like best friends because I feel like those guys really... They fuck with Jimmy. Like, they respect him. And, you know, that's another lesson of like, hey, if you're a good teammate and you're cool, like, dudes are going to ride with you. And I think that, you know, San Francisco is in a funny spot. I could understand why, you know, Cleveland, especially crossing that Rubicon and grabbing Deshaun Watson for, you know, a few years here and, like, taking that risk. I get what they're doing. San Francisco, do you want to forego another year where you're in the NFC Championship? Because that's been where this guy's taking you a couple of years. I know it's been a great team around him and they've overcome some of his mistakes, but like Trey Lance doesn't seem ready. You know, so like, are you going to forego a year of a window that really is wide open for these guys? It was last year. They were a couple plays away from being in the Super Bowl again. Um, do you want to forego that? And I think one of the biggest things that works against these guys is they're both guys that will play them into a position 
but maybe not the Super Bowl. Um, and we have this year of quarterbacks looming over us in a year, right? Yeah. We had this down year this year. We have some good quarterbacks coming out of college next year. So everybody wants to wait around and catch those guys. Would Jimmy G or Baker help me do that if I'm Seattle? No, they'd actually hurt my chances because they play well enough to make us go, you know, seven and whatever it is now. What are it, seventeen and games? Seven and ten. Yeah, I, I can't get used to that. Yeah, um, but not Baker Mayfield. Debo Samuel, another headline of the NFL season, and not necessarily just about Debo Samuel reportedly wanting out. Now it looks like he's going to stay in San Francisco because wisely the Niners are going to say, "Well, no, we're not trading this dude. He's a key piece of what we do offensively." It feels like a match made in heaven. We saw him have so much success and. Maybe it's just a, a difference in philosophy if I don't want to be running the football as much because, you know, that shortens my shelf life. But to me, Debo Samuel and Kyle Shanahan is a match made in heaven. Um, if you have any general thoughts on on that saga, I'm curious for them. But overall, and more specifically, I'm curious for your take on players asking for trades in general. And we see it, I think, a lot more in the NBA. But you think you've, you've seen NFL players try to take their careers into their own hands a little bit more in recent years, certainly more so... Uh, than compared to generations past. Yeah, no question. I think there's a balance to strike here. I, I, I think you know the NFL has become more appropriate for like you know what you're asking guys to do. You can't own these players, man. Like it's it's just that's not the way it works. Like this is one of the only workplaces where you're like drafted to your new job, you know, to start. So it's really uh, it's really unique in that in that sense, but. You know, with free agency getting a lot more wild and wide open, uh, players changing teams more. And now, like the Christian Kirk situation this this offseason, it's like, well, I want that too. You know, and you go to your coach and you go to your GM and you say, well, you know, it's like going to, I've used this analogy, going to school and that kid's got a cool car or a cell phone or whatever. And they're like, we don't do that in this house. We'll trade me somewhere where I can get a cell phone or a new car. Like, the kid at school has it and that's what Christian Kirk did, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I kind of, it's, it's such a wild time. I feel like this thing, we're going to figure out what the, what, where the balance is. Um, but if you don't have a no trade clause, be careful what you wish for, <laughs> you know, it just depends. Uh, it depends on your situation. I'm all for guys asking for trades. Not all of them are going to get them. Debo Samuel asked for a trade. Um, I don't know that he gets traded. Um, I don't know that anybody wants to pay 25. I know somebody would, but I'm just saying like, if you're Debo Samuel and your options are like a couple three and 13, three and 14, sorry, teams that want to get a little Debo Samuel effect, do you think you're going to be set up for success the way you are in San Francisco? You know, do you think you're going to have that Kyle Shanahan fit that you just alluded to? Do you think the team's going to be good around you? Is there going to be a year where now you're the $25 million guy and people are just on your head about it because your production's not the same because the quarterback's not as efficient or the system sucks or your team's not good? So there's a flip side to every coin. And, you know, sometimes it's like a be careful what you wish for. But I do think that it's well within these players' rights to ask for you know, what they've asked for. And at this juncture, with the way things are, you're not always going to get them. Um, and I think that's okay. We're figuring it out. Um, but Debo, yeah, like, I don't think, I, I really wanted to see him in Philly. Like, Philly, I don't think, wanted to pay him $25 million and give up capital for him. They were able to find A.J. Brown. You know, um, I, I and 
I think maybe get a player that they've had, they look at and say, well, he's had a couple really good years. Debo only had one. I think Debo's injury year kind of hurts him because people are acting like he's been inconsistent. I think he's very consistent, but they look at that in a small sample size and they say, well, what am I getting for that cost? And you what do I have to give You could certainly make the same up? argument so, for A.J. Brown. You could, but, but when you looked at things side yeah. by side, I felt like A.J. Brown was a guy at that value that I'd rather have. Now, I love Debo, but if Debo's saying to me, like, I don't want to run the football anymore, I don't want to, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be, and part of that's for like how you're designated, but if you're not willing to do all that dirty work that made you great in San Francisco, then maybe I do want A.J. Brown. Yep. That's nothing personal because I love them both, dude. Like, they're both awesome, but uh, it's cutting hairs. There's always going to be somebody who'll take a you know a cheaper deal. Yeah, I love the be careful what you wish for train of thought because you think about a guy like Tyreek Hill who wanted to get the paycheck and now he's going to be catching passes from Tua compared to Pat Mahomes and how <laughs> long does it take before that honeymoon, that payday? It's like, shoot, do I really need these extra 4 million a year because damn, I miss Pat putting it where yeah. I needed it to be every single time. That it's just, it, it, it's another storyline. I'm, I'm curious to see how it all plays out. Uh, Chris, well, we had you, the viral yeah. video today, Joe, the, oh, the yeah. to a throw, which I'm going to hold my It's been seen three million times. Like the little, the duck, the five yard under throw. He tries to sell it. Holy the social media shit. team tried to sell it and it's just been getting ripped to pieces. And that's just in shirts and t-shirts or t-shirts and shorts. Yeah. T-shirts and shorts, and it's good engagement. It's good engagement, though. It, a lot of engagement for that Dolphins account today. Lots of engagement to put your quarterback on blast. I'm not sure if that's what the uh, the organization is looking for. Uh, schedule releases Thursday night. Is that a big deal to players? I think it is. I think, you know, for us, we were always um, curious. As a rusher, I was curious who I was going to rush against, right? But not only that, like, where is the game? You know, like, am I going to Atlanta to play on that fast turf? You know, like, uh, is Atlanta coming to play us? Like, hey, do we play in Chicago? I knew we were playing in Chicago, but what time of year? That changes yep. things, right? Yep. Uh, and and also, I think, as a rusher, personally, I used to, the first month of the season, feel like that was a getting to a rhythm thing. You know, like, sometimes you didn't come out of the gates as strong. You'd look at those matchups and you'd think, uh, you know, do I want to play that team early in the season? Do I want to go down to Miami where it's 100 degrees? Like, when's that game? You know, like, there's a lot that players are looking at. You already kind of have an idea who you're playing, but it's the context, you know, with which you're playing that team in. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, man, I got to give a shout out to the setup you have. The Lombardi Trophy is cool. The Steve Gleason jersey, <laughs> even cooler. Uh, a conversation I like to have with, with friends, if you're just talking about doing some water cooler talk is, you know, what sporting event that doesn't involve one of your teams do you wish you could have been at? And I think a real dark horse candidate was the reopening of the Superdome. And, it, you know, it's not the miracle uh, on ice. It's not a championship yeah. moment. It's not a game seven. It's not a Super Bowl. It's not an Olympics. But it's just a regular season game. But it's the reopening of the Superdome. And that place is absolutely electric. Mike Tirico on the call on primetime and Steve Gleason blocks after the Saints mm -hmm. defense forces a three and out. He blocks the Michael Kanan punt. It's returned for a touchdown. I mean, at that moment, just thinking about it gives me chills. I've seen that highlight so I many just times. Got chills. I just got chills. I just so, got chills because, because there was so much more than sports at play there, you know, and those are the really, yeah, like kind of transcendent moments. Like championships are great, but, uh, you know, this was like a human story. Uh, and getting to know Steve over the years, 
like he's a hero to me and uh and legitimately and so he was a hero that day but he kind of ironically came to be a lot more of a hero to a lot of people as time went on uh not one ring but two rings on the fingers of chris long two-time super bowl champ 2018 walter payton man of the year check out his green light podcast if you don't already and follow him on twitter at joel91 Chris, it was great to see you in Vegas. It was great to chop it up here on the show. Thank you so much, man. Look forward to chatting again as the season gets closer. Joe, appreciate you, man. Good to see you. Pretty cool. You know, I, that dude doesn't know me anything. And every time I have met him, he was here in the fall. Chris Carter was in town um, because he was doing wide receiver one. Chris Long was in town. Uh, me and Claudia inter- interviewed both of them back then. And the second I met him till now, I mean, he acts, it's like we're best friends. I mean, what a gracious dude. And he's like that with every person that I've seen him encounter. So uh, big ups to Chris Long. He's a tremendous interview. Tons of great insight. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. But um, it's always nice when you just meet someone who's just a damn good human. And that is Chris Long. So grateful to him for his time. All right. Our bet 50 win $200 promo is still running. New win bet users can receive $200 in free bets after they make their first qualifying deposit and place their first bet on WinBet. Once that bet is settled, you will receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time. My record in May is no longer unblemished. I'm two and one, still up 0.57 units. And I'm going to go with the underdog in the Heat Sixers game. I'm taking Heat money line on the road. It's interesting when you look at the Suns series, Suns Mavs, um, Heat Sixers, both of those games now 3-2 in favor of the one seed. But every home team has won every game so far, and not many of them have been close. They haven't been very dramatic series. These games largely decided by double digits plus. Um, And you know my line, the series doesn't start until the road team wins. Well, the series is about to start and end on the same night with this Heat series. They are the better team. I think the Sixers are gassed. Joel Embiid averaging under 20 points per game in the three games that he has played. And I know they willed, he willed them a couple of wins in Philly in games three and four. But one of those games was the only time we saw James Harden show up in these playoffs. I think the Heat closed it out. They don't want to take this to a game seven, leave anything to chance. Heat money line plus 115 on Thursday evening in Philly against the Sixers. That's going to do it here for this episode of Bet to Win. Thanks so much again to Chris Long, a tremendous interview. Make sure you go and listen and follow and subscribe to his Greenlight podcast. He's got awesome episodes twice a week. Guests, analysts, or analysis, the whole shebang. Nobody does it better than Chris Long. Big thank you to all of you for tuning in as you do on Mondays and Thursdays. We will catch you on the other side of the weekend. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday right here on Bet to Win.